Well, hey, good morning, Vale. How are we doing? Hey, it's so good uh, to be with you and to be back. Uh, my name's Tony Calabrese, and uh, I'm the lead pastor of Church of the City in Spring Hill, Tennessee. It's about 30 minutes uh, south of Nashville, and it's just good to be back here. I was here, I think, a year and a half ago, and uh, being here last night, seeing some uh, familiar faces, Rich and PK, good to see you guys, and uh, it's good to be back. I actually lived in Bloomington Normal for 10 years. I was on staff here at Vail for three years, and then uh, we made our way to Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was there for five years, and we've been in um, the Nashville area the past uh, five and a half, six years, and uh, my wife, Kim and I, we've been married for 14 years. We have four kids, two girls, two boys. The teams are even, so we're good. And um, we just, we love uh, the season of life that we're in right now. It's interesting, um, growing up in the Chicagoland area, O'Hare Airport was my backyard. And uh, in 2021, in the Nashville area, uh, how many of you guys are familiar with 7-Eleven, the convenience store? So for whatever reason, in 2021, uh, there weren't any 7-Elevens in the um, Nashville area, in the greater Nashville area. But in 2021, they decided to build five new 7-Elevens in the greater Nashville area. And uh, it's interesting that uh, in 2021, one of the things that, uh, that they featured as a part of these new builds, because they have some different concepts going. 7-Eleven is kind of going up and to the right as uh, as a company, but 7-Eleven uh, took off and they blew up. And one of the things that was unique about what they were doing with these new builds in the greater Nashville area is they, uh, they had two restaurant concepts that were inside of the store. Uh, one of them was Laredo Tacos. Uh, the other one was Raise the Roost Chicken and Biscuits uh, inside the 7-Eleven. And so uh, they're a little bit more sleek than they are now. And one of the things that 7-Eleven is doing that's a little bit more unique that they kind of take this step up, they have these called the evolution stores. Have you heard of this? Uh, there's nine of them in the country, in the U.S. And uh, a part of these, uh, uh, these uh, evolution stores, uh, here's a couple things that's unique about them. Uh, one is that you can pre-order food on an app. This is 7-Eleven, y'all. All right, uh, on an app, they have a wine cellar uh, in these evolution stores. They have a nitro brew coffee bar. There's prepared food in the fridge. They have indoor and outdoor seating. You can kind of uh, order your groceries online, do kind of like a grocery pickup like you would, like Kroger pickup. And y'all, that is so different than the 7-Elevens I grew up with uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, we had a 7-Eleven right down the street from our school. So I'd go there after school and I'd get Skittles and Starburst Slurpees, anybody? Like the Coca-Cola Slurpees and the Blue Raspberry, anybody? Y'all know what I'm talking about? But these 7-Elevens were different, y'all. Like you would go in and if you weren't packing heat, you were in trouble, all right? And if you went in to use the bathroom, you needed a tetanus shot coming out, all right? So these 7-Elevens are different. But what's interesting, what, what 7 outside of the Slurpee, their, their claim to fame, so to speak, 7-Eleven, is what's interesting is that they were the first chain of convenience stores to stay open seven days a week. Uh, there, was, there was a point in time where convenience stores were closed on Sundays. Did you know this? But, but, but they made their claim of fame being open seven days a week and being open until 11 p.m. They would open at 7 
and close at 11, but they were the first ones to be open seven days a week. In one generation, Sunday evolved from being a day of rest and being a day of worship to being a day to buy more junk and to get a head start on our week and consume more Slurpees. And, and it's interesting that throughout history, uh, when you track humanity, uh, we've tried to experiment with this idea and have movements to be more productive, not less. Uh, take France, for example. In the late 1700s, in 1793, uh, in an effort to just increase human productivity, uh, they, uh, they de-Christianized the calendar and they modified the seven-day work week to a 10-day work week in 1793. And so the clocks were, were kind of uh, reflective of this and, and they tried to kind of manipulate the way that we work and produce. How, how do you think that, that went? Uh, it radically failed. It was a disaster. Here's, here's what happened. Uh, suicide rates skyrocketed. Uh, people burned out. Production actually didn't increase. It decreased. The economy tanked. And come to find out that we were not made to work nine days or 10 days or even eight days. Uh, Japan, uh, they have this interesting concept called Kiroshi. Have you heard about this? Kiroshi? Uh, Kiroshi is a Japanese term that literally means death by overwork. It's occupational sudden mortality. Uh, the major causes of Kiroshi, heart attack, stroke, due to stress and starvation, diet because people are too busy to eat. Uh, one of the most famous victims of Kiroshi was a man named uh, Kami Soji. He was this high-flying broker. He was this budding financial superstar in the late 80s, and, and he would routinely work 90 hours a week, 90. But he kind of became the poster child, if you will, to accomplish things and and people were kind of looking at him as the golden boy of Japan. And so this was the guy that you aspired to be like. And so he became this cultural icon and all these executives would fly in from all over the world to meet with this guy and to have him consult with them. And, and so in the late 80s, the stock market crashed. This guy took on more pressure and he dropped dead at the age of 26. And, and we hear of this, we're just like, oh man, like that was, that was like France back in the late 1700s and that was Japan, like that, that was in the 80s and that's kind of across the pond and that's a big problem way out there, but everybody, that could be far from the truth because if we're not, we might not experience a physical and literal Kiroshi, but in America, we have a spiritual Kiroshi. The Atlantic came out with an article some years ago by... Um, the title of the article is this, The Religion of Workism is Making Americans Miserable. And so this guy, um, Mr. Thompson, he, uh, he coined this term workism, and it's this. It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. This guy isn't a believer. And, and he wrote this, and he said this in the article, work has morphed into a religious identity promising transcendence and community, but failing to deliver. Talking about work in America. 
He went on to say that, that our people are living to a gospel of work. The decline, he says, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty. Some worship political identities. Others worship their children, but everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent competing for congregants. And the reality is, in America, we are living in a, in a pressure cooker. And it's marked by stress and anxiety, where we've ignored margin, we've lacked balance, we've become over busy, because in the country that we live in, busy is a medal of honor. We get rewarded for our busyness. Uh, we throw around the term workaholic. Everybody, America is the belly of the beast, and what it wants to do is swallow us slow and whole. And it's forming us, leading us to exhaustion and physical breakdown. Someone once said it this way, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I've got good news for us. How about some good news? Y'all want some good news in the midst of, of all this? Here's the good news, everybody. Here's the good news. In the midst of all this, Jesus's message is so good because his message is a message of rest. Y'all should just, (sighs) that's the kind of message that Jesus came to bring into the earth. That's the message that he has for the children and the people of God. And his invitation, he doesn't say, uh, come to me and I'll make you successful. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll make all your dreams come true. This is what he says. This is his invitation. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this, come to me, all who are weary, burdened, and I will give you my rest. See, here, here's what I know, because I, I lived in, in Bloomington Normal for, for 10 years. Uh, I have friends that still live in, in central Illinois. I've got family in northern Illinois. Listen, everybody, I think it's fair to say that people here in Bloomington Normal love their job. They love their job. The problem is that they don't not love their work, it's that they love their work too much. It's like when you meet people, it's just like, I don't know how to stop working. Like, I love what I do. And so this is where we come to our text today. Fourth week of this series, The Ten Commandments. This is the fourth one. And I want you to hear this invitation once again in Exodus chapter 20. I know we've been sitting for a minute, but can we stand up? I like to do this when we read God's word in honor of God's word. It's the posture of readiness. Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, can we just uh, honor and just welcome all of our people watching online today on Veil Live. You guys can stand if you're at home as well. Exodus chapter 20. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, here we go. Verse eight, everybody. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God's not against work, but there's a comma and a but. But the seventh day 
is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Say my God. My God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Father, I pray, uh, God, that you would rest on this room and that you would rest in our hearts and God, you'd open up our eyes to see us I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us today, that your seed would fall on good soil. Pray you give me precision and accuracy this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I, I know that there's probably been some foundation laid in this series in the past few weeks about the Ten Commandments, but I, I want to for a minute, and, and I hope you catch this, I want us to understand the backdrop of how the Ten Commandments came about and, and really the heartbeat behind them, because if we don't catch this, we will see Sabbath as duty, not as delight. So, 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 so tune in here. This is so important. The starting point of the Ten Commandments, we have to see that when there's a page turn from the book of Genesis closing to the book of Exodus, the first chapter and the second chapter, the people of God are not in a great place. Uh, their condition is described in Exodus chapter one. It's described this way. You turn the page and you see in verse 11, uh, they, they're in Egypt and they've been populating and multiplying and God's promise and blessing of them multiplying and being fruitful is coming to pass. It's a threat to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so here's what they do to the people of God in verse 11. It says, therefore, they, Egypt, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities Pithom and Ramses, but the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiply and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So here's what they do. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as, say it with me, slaves. As slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as, say it with me, slaves. So the people of God, generation after generation, are in Egypt, and they're in slavery for 400 years. They're in bondage, and they're, they're in captivity, and they're enslaved by Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and that's all they knew. Their, their identity was their captivity. And that meant that your great-grandmother and your great-grandfather, they were slaves. And your great-great-grandfather and your great-great-grandmother, for 400 years, they were slaves. Their captivity had become their identity. And to be a slave meant that you had no dignity. It meant that you were treated not as a human being, but as a human doing. And so in Egypt, uh, there were no vacations. Uh, in Egypt, there was no PTO. In Egypt, there were no snow days. In Egypt, there was no maternity leave. In Egypt, there was no paternity leave. In Egypt, there were no three-day weekends. In Egypt, there were no sick days. And if you didn't work, you died. 
So for four centuries, the people of God are slaves and all they knew was work. But God in his mercy and his kindness hears the cry of his people, comes down, sends Moses as a deliverer. If you're familiar with the story, God God gets them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea, crushes the Egyptians. The water swallows them up. And so God's people are set free. And after they experience deliverance, God wants to restore their dignity. After their redemption, he wants to instill the reason for their liberation. And as a result, he gives them the 10 commandments. And please understand and hear that God did not give them the 10 commandments when they were in Egypt. He didn't say, all right, show me how much you love me and then I'll free you. See, see, the 10 commandments were given to show, look up here, everybody, the 10 commandments were given to show what free people look like. And so in Exodus 20, verse two, before the 10 commandments are given, it says this, God says, I am the Lord, your God, don't miss this, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of, say it with me, slavery. See, in some ways, the whole point of the Exodus was pointing to Sabbath. Let my people go was the rallying cry of the Exodus so that, God said, so that you might worship me. See, at the heart of liberty, at the heart of being let go is worship, but at the heart of worship is rest. Stopping from all work, all worrying, all scheming, all fleeing. See, there's no real worship without true rest. The opposite of a slave is not just a free man, it's a worshiper. Y'all can talk to me, by the way. I don't know if... Preaching is, is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. So if there's, if there's something that's pinging in your heart, you can just, just say amen. amen. C- come on, somebody. All right. So, so, so God loves us. He gives the fourth commandment, and, it, and it's to remember the Sabbath. Uh, there's this Christian author. Her name's, um, her name's Dorothy Bass, and she makes this interesting observation of the fourth commandment. Uh, she said that uh, this is the only commandment out of the 10 that we brag about breaking. And we brag about it, by, but we brag about this commandment by letting everybody know how busy and how productive we are. We do this with our greetings with one another. Like, hey man, how, how are you? Huh, busy. I'm busy. And so we say that, that's our response for two reasons. One, it's because we want people to know before we get further in the conversation that I'm busy and occupied and I can't help you. So I just want you to know ahead of time that I got no time to help you. So how you doing? Busy, busy. But, but the other reason we do that, you, you wanna know why we tell people we're busy? Because we're busy. Because we're busy. See, we wouldn't brag about the other commandments. Like, you know, I was just... Um, just worshiping idols the other day. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know my buddy Matt Reagan preached a couple weeks ago on murder. Like, man, I just I murdered somebody recently, and it was 
just did something in my heart. But for us, it's just like, man, I'm always busy. I'm always doing something. Like, it's the customary response. So, so let me give, give, give two reasons, everybody. According to God's word, why we're to remember the Sabbath. One is given in our Exodus 20 passage. Look back at, at verse 11 real quick. Exodus 20, verse 11. It, it says this. It says, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the theological groundwork of keeping the Sabbath. And so what did God do for in six days? That's going back to the Genesis account. If you know the story in Genesis chapter one, there's a flurry of activity and there's a rhythm. Uh, God said it, God saw it, and it was good. God said it, God saw it, and it was good. He said, let there be light. God saw it, and he says, it's good. Bueno. Uh, he creates uh, the animals. God said it, he saw it, it's good. So, so that's the rhythm for, for six days of creation. And it's interesting that the very first thing in God's word in the Bible that gets called holy is the seventh day of creation, the Sabbath. The first thing the Bible uses to teach you and me about holiness is the seventh day. And what does God make holy? Time. And so Moses is saying, keep the Sabbath because God did it. Listen, everybody, God who doesn't need sleep, who doesn't take a day off, who doesn't get tired or worn down or grouchy, who is without parallel to any other being in the universe, rested. And let me remind you that we are made in his image. We're made to mirror and mimic God. So, so Sabbath, everybody, is an act of imitation. It's an act of imitation. We are, to imi we are imitating God when we rest. So that's the, the one foundation. The other foundation is in Deuteronomy chapter five. And this is awesome, y'all. In Deuteronomy chapter five, it's the second giving of the law. It's a new generation. Uh, the, the, um, the old folks has died. It's a new generation. And this is the first generation in Deuteronomy where they are the only ones to grow up in freedom. So it's a new generation. They're about to go into the promised land. They don't really know the Ten Commandments. So Moses has to give it to them again. And, and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse 12, please don't miss this. In the second giving of the law, here's what Moses said. There's some similarities to what he said in Exodus, but here it is. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Whoo! It's interesting that of all the commandments in the Ten Commandments, this commandment, the fourth one, is the only one that has a Y attached to it. And so in Deuteronomy 5, it says, you shall remember, here it is, that you were, uh, say it with me, slave. A slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out 
from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Listen, everybody. We keep the Sabbath because of imitation, but the other foundation for Sabbath is liberation. The, the, the two foundations that the Sabbath rests on is imitation and liberation. What is Sabbath? Everyone look up here, really simply. It is a literal 24-hour period without anxiety, have-tos, or shoulds, which over time is the result of deep rest and renewal. That is Sabbath. It's not metaphorical, it's not allegorical, it's a literal 24-hour period. And when we ground it in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, Sabbath is built on imitation and liberation. And this may be hard for us to hear, okay? So, so just prepare thine heart with what I'm about to say. If you and I cannot stop work, no matter how much you love it, for a 24-hour period, it's an indication of your slavery, Y'all good? <laughs> you say, well, Tony, I love my job. I don't care how much you love it. You're a slave to it. If you cannot rest from it. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat. Four words to summarize what that word means. It means stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. If you cannot rest, you're not free. Now, it's important that we make a cultural distinction in 2023. We, we don't live in Egypt. But we're not living in an external time with an external pharaoh who's telling our people work or die, work or die. There was an external pharaoh. We don't have any external pharaohs. We have an internal pharaoh. Some of you are just like, man, you should meet my boss. By and large, we don't have an external pharaoh, but we have an internal pharaoh within us who says produce or your identity dies. Produce and work hard or your identity dies. Produce and work hard or your value dies. This practice for me, everybody. And when I was asked to select one of the 10, I chose this one. Because the seed of this germinated in a dark season for me. In 2018, my family and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to plant a church. And planting a church is somewhere between startup in Silicon Valley and D-Day. It's a lot of work, y'all. It's a lot of work. And I felt I was prepared to take that on. And the first year was exhausting, but also exhilarating. The second year was exhausting and exhilarating. The third year was exhausting. And the fourth year was even more exhausting. And the fifth year didn't exist because we closed the doors of our church. We didn't make it out of COVID. Let me repeat that. I almost didn't make it out of COVID. And I wasn't gonna let the church steal that from me. I would wake up at 6 a.m. I'd go to bed at 10 p.m., no Sabbath, no rest, working, love the church, still love the church, love God's people, love preaching, love casting vision, love disciple making, love all of that, but I was a slave to it. And so I wanna give you five things very quickly, five truths I wanna highlight about Sabbath to maybe help us do this or help do this better. Y'all good? 
I'm gonna fly through these. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. All right? One, Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. The culture we live in says that if you want rest, you better work for it. Work, 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 work until you drop. Then rest becomes a reward for your hard work. The mentality for how I understood Sabbath for so long, when I first started understanding it and keeping it, I believed that if I wasn't exhausted, I didn't need to rest. Like I'm not exhausted to the point where I, I, I need rest, so I just kind of feel guilty if I have to take rest, so I guess I'll just keep working. Therefore, Sabbath was reward-based, not grace-given. Please hear this, everybody. Sabbath is not a reward for work. Sabbath is a free gift from God to us. Did you know this? That, that Adam's first, everyone look up here, look up here, look up here. Adam's first day as a human being was on the seventh day. It was a day of rest. Y'all get that, right? Y'all understand that, right? Like, like Adam was created, man was created on, on day? Yeah, he rests on the seventh. So his first day in the office as a human being was a day of rest. What employer does that? What, what employer says, congratulations, here's, you sign your contract, uh, you start on June 20th and your first day is a day of rest. But doesn't, don't I have to put in for PTO? Nope, first day is a day of rest. First day in the office is a day of rest. Adam's first day was the seventh day. See, Sabbath is not so much about resting from work, but working from rest. Y'all get that? Are y'all capturing that? The, the, the first day for man, human being, was a day of rest. So we work from rest, not to it. We, we, a lot of us get this wrong when it comes to, 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 to rest. We work for rest instead of from rest. We are resting from our work when really we should be working from our rest. See, it's, it's not a reward, it's a gift, Sabbath. And just like, well, this is the Ten Commandments, this is the Old Testament. But, but Jesus talks about it. Matter of fact, did you know that most of the healings that Jesus does in the Gospels happen on the Sabbath? That's not by accident, that's on purpose. Do you know why? Maybe because rest and Sabbath is meant to heal us. He said it this way in Mark chapter two, verse 27. He, he's in a, in a debate with the Pharisees because they were uh, snacking on the Sabbath and the Pharisees put a heavy burden and yoke, and they missed the heart of Sabbath, the Pharisees did. And so Jesus says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What a stunning line by Jesus. He was beating up on a legalistic, guilt-heavy religious culture that had missed the Father's heart behind the command to stop for one day of the week. During Jesus' time, the Pharisees didn't understand Sabbath. See, see, they needed to hear the second half of that command that the Sabbath was made for man. Put that verse back up. 
That Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They had it backwards. They had the cart before the horse, and they turned this life-giving practice into a soul-sucking legalistic rule that was oppressive over people. So you fast forward today in the 21st century. We, I don't think we're legalistic about the Sabbath because most of us don't really practice it at all. But what Americans need in Bloomington Normal right now is to need, the, need to hear the first part of Jesus' teaching that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to serve God's people. The Sabbath is a servant, not a master. Here's the second one. Sabbath is a reminder that our work will remain incomplete. Sabbath comes and, and reminds us of everything that we didn't get done, that we didn't do. It, it reminds us that our work is incomplete. And, and here's why that's essential for us. Because many of, us, many of us believe, if you're like me, that when I finish, then I'll rest. But can I ask you, when will you ever really be done? You will always have another email to send. You will always have something else to do. Will you ever really finish? One of my favorite images of this, any Food Network fans in the room? We love Food Network. And um, Iron Chef or Beat Bobby Flay, some of our favorites. And you get an hour to prepare a meal. And, and when the clock hits zero, uh, the, I love this image. This is what they do. Here's the image. Done. And if you're cooking on the show, you can't go, oh, I need to put one more piece of garnish on and I, I just I need one more piece of tomato. I've got to fluff the lettuce for the salad. You can't. It's a violation to add anything after the time has expired. And there's gonna come a time in our week and a time in our lives where we can't do what we wanted to do. Our work remains incomplete. Therefore, the invitation is to step away, to put your hands in the way, to step away from the computer, to step away from the sink, to step away from the phone. Mark Buchanan in the book, The Rest of God, says this. He says, the Sabbath is a reprieve from what you ought to do. Even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done, oughts are tyrants, noisy, and surely chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the day you trade places with them. They go in the, the salt mine and you go out dancing. I love the imagery here. It's the one day when the only thing you must do is to not do the things you must. That's good, y'all. That'll preach. It's preaching to me right now. You are given permission, issued a command to be blunt, to turn your back on all these odds, or just put your hands up. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things your existence genuinely depends on and is so often hobbled beneath. And he goes on to say this, so that you can turn to whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time, lack of room, lack of breath. You get to shuck the haves-tos and, and lay hold of the get-tos. Listen, we get to Sabbath. Not that we have to, we get to. And listen, everybody, look up here. Sabbath is coming for you. You will Sabbath voluntary or involuntarily. You might Sabbath like I did. You will burn out and then you will meet Sabbath. But Sabbath is coming for you. Everyone say it's coming. 
Here's the third one. Here's the third one. I've got to fly. Sabbath is a day that moves us from production to presence. From production to presence. Listen, there's nothing productive about just sitting and doing nothing. Here's what's not happening, production. Here's what's happening, being present. Sabbath is is a day, first and foremost, about being present to God, being present to each other, being present to ourselves, present to the food we eat, presence to the presence of God. Listen, everybody, Sabbath is not just rest from making things. Sabbath is rest from a need of making something of ourselves. It's resisting the idol of productivity. In May, our church did a 30-day digital detox so our, 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 our nervous systems can reset. So, so some of us got new phones for 30 days, cut off. We, we deleted all of our apps. Uh, we, we, we encouraged people to put away digital devices and did a 30-day digital detox. And for 30 days, I got what's called a light phone. It's about half this size and weighs about an ounce. It's a dumb phone. It's a small phone. You can text and call, and that's it. And it's incredibly slow and inconvenient. But you know what it did for 30 days with me and my family? It made me more present. Here's the fourth one. Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. Sabbath is a day to actually celebrate our weakness, our mortality, and our limits, and to celebrate a God who is immortal and limitlessly powerless, who gives us all things to rest with him and in him. Listen, do you know everybody that there were nights where Jesus went to bed and in his humanity didn't heal everybody? Didn't heal every disease. Apparently he slept well. He didn't minister to everybody who needed ministry. In his humanity, Jesus understood what it meant to have limits. And if he did, so do we. Listen, everybody, look up here. It doesn't take faith to work, but it does take faith to rest. There is a God, and I'm not him. A.J. Swoboda said this, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. Here's the last one. Sabbath points us to the deeper rest we need found in Christ, that's found in Christ. Listen, Sabbath is not just a practice, but it reminds us of a person. Our souls need rest, everybody. The the way to experience this kind of rest is not found in what we do. It's It's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rested in a tomb after his crucifixion. And the world was being restored as he was resting. And then he raises to new life and the God of all rest comes to live within us. And and the call today is exchange your exhaustion for the rest that only God can give you in Jesus Christ. Augustine said it this way. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Mark Buchanan again says this. He says, without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest he invites us to is to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be 
still. I, I close with this statement. Listen, everybody, listen, Vale. I, I want to say this clearly. Jesus is not glorified, <clears throat> nor is he seen beautiful or desirable if his followers are exhausted, stressed, and worn out the same exact way the world is. Listen, <clears throat> a restful spirit is spiritual warfare in a culture of exhaustion, and the church is called to be a counterculture. So I want to encourage you, I want you to examine your yoke. What yoke is on your shoulders? Is there a Pharaoh-like spirit that you carry with you? Is your identity found in, in what you do, not in who God says you are? Is it an easy yoke? Are you burned out? Are you busy? Are you stressed? Are you barely making it? Listen, Jesus is the source of rest in the way of Jesus is the way forward for us. I wanna pray for us this morning. If you could bow your head and close your eyes, I wanna pray for us. And As we do, I just wanna ask this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I want you to think about that for a minute. Maybe for some of you, you came in here and, and, and you said, Man, I'm good. I don't, I don't need rest. But, but maybe this message was a timely message because it's, it's actually an opportunity for you to stop and, and reevaluate. Are you entering into the blessedness of the Sabbath? Maybe for some of you came in here exhausted and depleted and you need to know that the God of heaven and the God of all creation gives us a gift and permission to rest and to put our hands up. Maybe that was an image that you needed to see that. Man, my hands are up. I needed to step away for, for 24 hours. Listen, everybody, Sabbath is not to be endured. It's to be enjoyed. So I just want you to put your hands out, everyone, as your eyes are closed, just in a posture of receiving. I just want to pray for us. Father, I just pray over your people right now that they would rest beneath the shadow of your wings. Father, I pray for the rest and the peace of God to be enthroned in the hearts of your people. God, we take off the burden and the yoke and the heaviness of work and productivity, of work and productivity, trying to make something of ourselves and we stop to make something of you. Father, I pray that that you would just breathe fresh life into your church this morning, that we would, we would receive the breath of God today to rest, that you've called it holy and you've blessed it. Father, I, I ask that you would strengthen your people. And I, I pray that even for some of us that we would actually reset the rhythms of our life to have a greater encounter with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, 
Worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.